If you have a Bible, take it and turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6, and we'll be in verses 1 through 11 this morning. As I think about my role as a father, it's hard still after four children to think that I celebrate Father's Day as a father. Um, I guess someday it'll sink in, but um, usually it's it's filled with joy. It's a it's a wonderful role, a wonderful job, you might say, to be a father. But I also find at times that as a father, I am a I am a killjoy. Um, I'm the one that comes into the room when everyone is giggling and having fun and says, "Hey, stop it! <laughs> you can't do that." And usually I have a good reason, hopefully, for saying. You need to stop doing this. Um, I'm the one that says, it's time to go to bed, or it's time to take a bath. And these are things that kids don't necessarily want to do, and you become kind of the downer, the party pooper in the family very often, just as a parent in general. But we know it's it's for our children's good that we do these things. Um, if you want to think about the ultimate downers, the ultimate killjoys and party poopers, I think we could say the Pharisees might fit that category, you know. Uh, we've looked at them recently. They went to this feast at Levi's house, and they said, hey, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? In the midst of a party, they'd have to find something wrong. These are the people that you don't want to invite to your party because if they come, they're just going to tell you all the things you're not supposed to be doing. Um, then last week we saw how they came, and they saw Jesus feasting. And they said, well, why don't you guys fast? Why are you guys always eating? Why don't you take a break from eating sometimes? And this morning we see again that the Pharisees show up and they're always looking for something wrong. They're always looking to squelch and to kill the joy of the situation or of what God has intended. We're going to see that more, and I usually give you the main point of the passage right off the bat, but I think that it's going to be good for us to slowly work towards that and to see exactly what Jesus is saying, because we have some questions we're going to have to work through. But let's go ahead and read Luke 6, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll start asking some of those questions. Luke 6, beginning in verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come, and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life, or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he said to them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. 
This passage is very easily divided into a couple different sections, but they both um, become showdowns between Jesus and the Pharisees on the issue of what it means to rightly keep the Sabbath. Jesus has come. He's come as this self-proclaimed rabbi into um, the society there. He's a teacher of the law. He's a man from God. And yet, just as they couldn't understand why his disciples didn't fast, they also cannot wrap their minds around the way that he observes, or in their minds, the way he doesn't observe, the Sabbath. So we need to answer some of the big questions that are sort of at the at the heart of this passage. We need to understand a few things in order to to get at what Jesus is saying. The, the first question that we need to answer is, what was the original purpose and design of the Sabbath? Because that's the key issue here, right? It's the Sabbath. So what is the original purpose and design of the Sabbath? I spent some time this week looking back at the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, which gives the instructions for the keeping of the Sabbath. And there's some principles, I think, that, that fit in with what did it mean, what was God's intent in giving the Sabbath. Let me give you three, conveniently all beginning with R. The Sabbath, first of all, was a day for resting. The Sabbath was a day for resting. This is very obvious right from the beginning. It's a it's a day of resting from work. The Sabbath is not rooted simply in the law given to Moses, but it's rooted in creation itself. Listen to these words from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, after God had created them, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from his work that he had done in creation. So God rests. He doesn't rest because he's tired, but he rests because he's done. He is finished. He has completed the work, and so he, he is done working, all the work that he had done, and so so he rests. And this rest that he gives, that he proclaims, he, he, he proclaims this, this pattern of working and resting, that what's best for the world is for people to work for six days and to rest on the seventh. He says that this is this is good, not just for human beings, but for animals, that animals were to rest on the Sabbath, and even for the land itself. We see this especially with the, the sabbatical year, that every every seventh year was a sabbatical year when the when the fields were not to be plowed. We see it even with the year of Jubilee, uh, where everything is given back, that wonderful time that we as far as we can tell, Israel actually probably never practiced. <laughs> But these are all rooted in this idea of, of Sabbath, of resting, and it, the resting is a, is a good thing. But it's not simply that we don't do work, because this is not just a day of, of not working, but it's, it's the Lord's day. It's, it's His Sabbath. And so the way that we are to rest is a way to, is to honor Him in our resting. So it's not simply a day that we're supposed to do whatever we like. Uh, it's rather a day that we're to rest for God's glory, to rest in all that he has provided. This is a strange concept in our society. Um, in our society, we value work much more than, than rest. And when we do rest, we usually rest in more of a self-seeking way rather than a God-honoring way. And so the Sabbath is, is difficult, but, but God from creation itself, from the very beginning, says that there's a pattern of six days of work and resting on the seventh, that this is the best. So the Sabbath, first of all, was a day of resting. 
Second, the Sabbath was a day for remembering. The Sabbath was a day for remembering, or we may even say reflecting. Um, last Sunday, and even this morning, we looked at that passage in Deuteronomy 5, and after um, after Moses writes and he talks about what that rest is going to look like, he points out in Deuteronomy 5, 15, you shall remember, this is on the Sabbath, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath is meant to be a day for reflecting on and for remembering the salvation of God. For Israel, specifically in the Exodus, but also his provision throughout their entire lives, this was a day to remember, to reflect. Now, we could say that this, well, I can remember and reflect on my own, but the Sabbath day was also intended to be a day to remember and reflect with God's people. In Leviticus 20, 23, it says on the Sabbath that the Sabbath was to be a day of holy convocation, of sacred assembly. In other words, God's people were supposed to get together. The people of God were to be together and to remember and reflect. It wasn't something that, that we're just supposed to do on our own, that we do it by ourselves or just with our family. It is to be in our house, but it's also to be with God's people so that together we can remember and reflect on all that he has done. So the Sabbath is a day for resting. The Sabbath is a day for remembering. And finally, the Sabbath was a day for rejoicing. Sabbath was a day for rejoicing. The work of creation with the, that Sabbath is rooted in was not a solemn time. But God is, is rejoicing over all of the things that he has made. He proclaims the goodness of everything that he made. And on the seventh day, part of that resting seems to be a rejoicing in what he had done. He says all of this is very good. And he reflects and he rejoices on what he has done. And so the Sabbath was to be a day for God's people to rejoice in and to enjoy all that God had made. Now think about the Sabbath in the context of ancient Israel, and think about what a blessing this day would have been. These, these are people, for the most part, for whom life was probably difficult. This is a, a farming-based society. It's agricultural. And so they lived and they subsisted by the sweat of their brows. They had to work hard to live. And so imagine the joy of the Sabbath day, a day when God outlawed work. When he says with a smile, he says, I forbid you to work. Now, think about this. Maybe you've had this, someone say this to you. You've worked hard on a meal all day. You've been taking care of kids all day. You've worked in the yard all day. You've been just working at your job all day. And you come home and someone puts a glass of iced tea or a cup of coffee in your hand and says, sit down, I forbid you from doing any work for the rest of the evening. Now, is that intended to be something that is painful to you? No, it's it's a blessing. I think about maybe a holiday where someone makes Thanksgiving meal and, you know, uh, mom makes Thanksgiving meal or grandma makes the Thanksgiving dinner. And at the end, everyone says, oh, you go sit on the couch. We'll do all the dishes because you've worked hard and now it's your time to rest. I think that's part of what's going on here. The, the Sabbath is not a punishment. It's a blessing. It's a, it's a day to be with, with family, with God's people. It's a day to enjoy all that God has made, to, re, to rejoice in all that he has done, to rest and to remember and to, to rejoice. Now there's debate amongst Christians, New Covenant Christians we could say, about whether or not we should keep the Sabbath. Are we to be Sabbatarians, I think, is maybe the, the phrase that's thrown around. 
and there's wonderful truth in the fact that that there is a Sabbath rest yet to come, the Sabbath that we look for is in heaven. And that Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus gives us rest. And I believe all of that fully and completely. But I also think that, that this seems right, doesn't it? I mean, it's rooted in creation itself. Now, I, the strict adherence to all the, the law necessarily, I don't know that that's there, but think about this pattern that God lays down in creation. Six days and a seventh day to rest. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't it good to say, let's take a day and not work and remember what God does and rejoice in all that he is for us? That's a good thing. I think that's something we should all embrace. And I recognize that, that it's hard. You know, some, some of us work on Sundays. Um, I say us because I'm working, I guess. That's what you call this. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a full day of rest. And some people, you may work ten days straight. So to say, I'm going to work six days and then rest, it just... It doesn't, I recognize that that's difficult, but I think that the, the principle here, not, not the law that kills, but the principle, the, 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 what, what God is trying to say is that there should be a pattern of work and rest in our lives, that we should make resting a priority, that, that there should be a Sabbath principle in our lives, that we should find a day, that we should even find times throughout the day, that we should find weeks in the year to rest, to remember, to rejoice. Not only that, but that we should learn how to rest in a way that honors God, that rejoices in who He is. I know that so often when I find time to rest, I don't know how to rest well. I just sit in front of the TV and veg out because I don't know what to do. I don't rest in the Lord. I don't rejoice in who He is. I don't take time to reflect on what He's done because it feels like work. But ultimately, that is that is what resting is, that we are to rest in God. We're to find Him to be our refuge, not something else or someone else. There's a way to do those things in a way that honors God, but there's also a way that we rest in God. It's Father's Day, and so I feel um, like I should make a specific application to fathers, and I think it fits well even with that reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Fathers. I think that it is part of our job as fathers to seek this kind of rest for our families, um, to, to lead as, um, as a father, or as a husband, to you know, I feel like as a dad, so often I'm distracted even when I'm not working. Um, but we should we should lead our our wives to to rest, to take a Sabbath. We, there should be opportunities where we say, "Wife, I would like you to to not do any work. I'd like you to just take a break, and 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 I want to encourage you to be in God's word." And to be in prayer, to provide that. That's that's part of what we are to do, to do that for our children, to enjoy time with them, to laugh and enjoy that, but also to take a moment to to maybe turn the TV off and say, let's let's gather on God's word together. Let's let's pray together. Let's talk about things that, that truly matter, to encourage them in the Lord. I think it's also part of this is is having our children in church. I know that uh, I think about my father, um, and there were days probably middle school, high school, when I learned how to sleep in. I'm learning that there's a, there must be a moment when kids start doing that, because mine aren't there yet. But um, when my father would have to shake my bed, literally, to get me out of bed, and he would come down the hall and he'd sing the song on Sunday mornings, Wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead. It's time for Sunday school. And, and my dad was consistent to say, it's time to go to church. We didn't miss church. We were always late to church, but we were at church. We were there, and that was something, this is what we did. 
you were you were in church. And I, I praise God that my parents did that, that, that they saw that as a priority. You need to be with God's people, remembering, reflecting, um, observing a day that is the Lord's. So I think just encouragement to those of us who are fathers or maybe if you may someday be a father to say, you know what, this is this is part of our job is to seek to have our families rest, to remember Sabbath, to, to rejoice in who God is. That's that's one of our roles as a father, I believe. Um, so the principles of Sabbath, Sabbath are a gift. It's a wonderful blessing from God for our good and for his glory. So we need to receive that gift as as a gift from a wise and, and a loving father. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful gift. This beautiful purpose and design of the Sabbath. So the second question is, how had the Pharisees distorted the Sabbath? If that's what the Sabbath is supposed to be, how had the Pharisees distorted the Sabbath? Let's go back to our passage in, in Luke chapter 6, Luke 6, and and looking just at the first section there, kind of scene 1, in verses 1 through 5, we find this. First of all, the way that they distorted Sabbath, they distorted the Sabbath by adding oppressive laws. By adding oppressive laws. The story goes that the disciples are walking through some grain fields, and as they make their way through these grain fields, because we can assume they were hungry, they they pick some of the, the grain. Um, and as they're walking through, they pick this grain and they take it and they, they rub it between their hands and they separate the kernel from the chaff. And then they take that, what, what's left, and they pop it in their mouths and they chew it and they, and they eat it. And that was what they were doing. You can kind of see them. It's kind of a neat picture of Jesus leading the way and the disciples following after him. And they're all, you know, eating their grain as they walk through. And the Pharisees kind of lurking in the shadows, you know, and they come up and they say, the, 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 the word is, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? The Pharisees are shocked. I can't believe, they couldn't believe that the disciples were doing this, let alone the fact that Jesus was standing by, whether he was either doing it with them or just watching them, it, it doesn't matter. The fact that he was there and didn't say anything, because this, this is forbidden by the law. Now, not the, not the, st- the taking of the grain was provided for in the law. That was okay. They weren't upset about that, but it was, it was what they were doing. Now, I say forbidden in the law. Forbidden in the law of the Pharisees. Uh, because in their law, they were, you remember, they were seeking to, um, to set up laws to make sure that they didn't break the law. So the law is Sabbath. And and basically, if you read through the Old Testament, all it says is the Sabbath is to be a day of rest. The only specific command that I could find was you can't light a fire in your house. So that was about it. So the Pharisees said, well, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. What does that mean to rest? How do we make sure that people are resting? How do we make sure people aren't working? And so around that main law, they, they stack up all these other laws of things that people are not to do on the Sabbath. And some of those things include something like, um, like threshing or like gathering grain. Um, and so in their eyes, what the disciples are doing is, is breaking the Sabbath because, because they're there and they're, they're plucking grain. Well, you're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath. And then they're, they're threshing because they're rubbing it between their hands. And then you know what else they're doing? They're grinding that grain with their teeth. Uh, this is forbidden. You cannot 
do that. This is against the law, and it's happening before their very eyes. A commentary read by R.C. Sproul says, this is what is called theological nitpicking. <laughs> theological nitpicking. And, and we look at the Pharisees and we say they add these oppressive laws on top of, of the law itself. And, and we say that's terrible. But I think very often we do the exact same thing, don't we? We have to be careful that we don't theologically nitpick, that we don't place laws on top of what God has said we are supposed to do. Or, or that we let others impose laws upon us. It's very easy to do. We can all be like Pharisees. We can all set up our own standards, our own understanding of, well, if you really follow God, then these are the things that you will do. And, and they may be based on scriptural principles, but it's not a law to do these certain things. We might say, I can say this because my family, we homeschool our children right now. It's homeschooling in scripture. I grew up going to public school. It's not something that we can hold up and say, this is what everyone has to do. It's something that our family has decided to do. But very often that can become something that everyone says, well, this is the standard. As a church, we sing hymns, right? And any church who doesn't sing hymns is against God. No, we create these standards sometimes, and that's that's not true. We have a Sunday evening service, and all the other churches, man, they don't have Sunday evening service. And so they're not following God in the way that they should. We can create all these laws and we start making them standards of measure, but they're on top of the main law. What is the kernel? What is what is really intended? The Pharisees distorted the Sabbath by adding all these oppressive laws on top of things. Notice then, and before we look at Jesus' response, though, in, in scene two, the other way they distorted the Sabbath was by neglecting to do good for others. We had the first scene in the field. The second scene is here in the synagogue. And here they show us that they, they distort the Sabbath by neglecting to do good for others. The text says it was on another Sabbath. And on this other Sabbath, Jesus enters the synagogue and he's teaching, which I find interesting. He's accepted as being allowed to teach. They haven't kicked him out of the Sabbath. He's allowed, out of the synagogue. He, they invite him to come and to teach. And so he's teaching there. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. Interesting. Um, Luke is the only one that says it was his right hand. Uh, again, Dr. Luke is in the details. You know, he sees that it was his, his right hand was withered. And, and that phrase withered there, it's, it's used of a, of a plant who is, who has been, has dried up. So it's, it's something that's been sapped of all of its, of its life. So this hand is just withered. It is, it is useless. There's, there's nothing that can be done with his right hand. And it was probably the hand, for most, that's, that's the hand that he would have needed to work with. Um, and so this is a, a terrible thing that's happened to him. It says the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, watching Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. The Pharisees see this man. Jesus sees this man, but they both look at him in different ways. The Pharisees say, aha, an opportunity. We're going to see, you know, Jesus is this guy who's always healing people. What if he heals someone? On the Sabbath. Then we'll have a reason, we'll have a way to accuse him. Because again, in the law of the Pharisees, healing was allowed. They weren't opposed to healing, but you can't heal on the Sabbath. The only way that you could do something like that is if the, the very life of the person was threatened. If they were going to die, then you could do something to try and, and bring healing to them. But this wasn't a life-threatening thing. So now as we think about how the, the Pharisees are distorting this, just think about how ugly the Pharisees had made the Sabbath. This was supposed to be a day of rest. 
of reflection, of rejoicing, and they had they had taken it. They made people work really hard to make sure that they weren't working. That's what the day had become. Think about how hard you had to work to make sure that you weren't working. All these laws that you had to keep. They had filled people with a dread of God rather than a rejoicing in Him. They, they would wonder, have I accidentally worked too hard? I'm starting to sweat. Maybe I, I expended too much energy or I, I traveled too far. They had sucked the joy right out of the day. And now they were advocating that, that they were withholding healing. They were withholding joy. They were withholding good from people on this Lord's day. This is what man-made religion does. It sucks the joy out of following Jesus. If you put all these rules on top and you and you take out doing good for others, it makes the Christian life all about the things that you're not supposed to do rather than about in re- rejoicing in all that God has given. And there are commands that we are supposed to keep, things that we are not to do, yes. But there's also joy in following Christ. There are gifts that he's given. That's what the Sabbath was intended for, and the Pharisees had so distorted it. So now what does Jesus say? That's kind of our last question. What does Jesus say? I think the first principle that we see that Jesus communicates is the Sabbath is a day to love God and love our neighbor. Emphasis on and. The Sabbath is a day to love God and love our neighbor. Watch what happens here. The scribes and the Pharisees are watching this man, watching Jesus to see if he's going to heal him. Verse 8, but he, Jesus, knew their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. We see that again. That was with the paralytic, same thing. He knows what they're thinking. And he says to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. Think about that man. I'm sure with that withered hand, he probably didn't really like having attention drawn to himself. So this would be a cruel joke if Jesus isn't going to help him out to bring him and parade him in front of the group and say, look at this guy with the withered hand. He'd probably face that his whole life. People mocking him because of what had happened to him. And so Jesus tells him to to come up and to stand there. Before Jesus does anything for him, what does he do? He asks a question. That's what he does. (laughs) Jesus said to them, I ask you, This is everyone. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? I find that question interesting because there's no middle ground, is there? You can either do good or you can do harm. You can either save life or you can destroy life. It reminds me of Proverbs 3.27 that do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Or James 4.17 kind of builds on that. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, what? For him it is sin. So to know the right thing to do and to not do it is sin. To be able to do good and to not do good is to cause harm. And so Jesus asked this question. He says, you can either do good on the Sabbath or you can do harm. You can either bring life or you can destroy life. And the answer, of course, everyone knows is, well, save life. And and do good. That's the answer. But no one's willing to admit it. You know, this reminds me of when Jesus was in Nazareth, because I feel like there must be an eyewitness here that's telling Luke this story, because the details are so specific. From the right hand to, you know, he asked this man to come, 
come and stand here. He rose and stood there. He's painting the picture, isn't he? Very deliberately. Verse 9, And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, you can see Jesus, can't you? Just looking. This stunned silence, waiting. Will someone answer this question? He's looking around at them all. And after that moment, he says to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. What a beautiful picture. This is something that that man probably could not have done until Jesus said it. And then he reaches out his hand and, and what was dead and lifeless, what was withered and sapped of all strength is now it works fully and completely. His hand is fully restored. Jesus has brought healing. This should be a time for rejoicing, shouldn't it? I mean, everyone should be excited at what, at what Jesus has done for this man, but what does it say? They were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. This arm is filled with life, and because of that, the Pharisees are filled with anger because of what Jesus has done. It, so the Sabbath is, is a day to love God and love our neighbors, what we're thinking about. We can look back even back to the first scene. We're going to look at that story he says about David, but in part, at least what's going on is is that the Sabbath is not meant to be a day to, to keep hungry people from from being fed. That, that the, the, the disciples are, are hungry. And they, the laws of the Pharisees were such that they were not allowed to eat. Uh, but the people, their, the, their need for food is the primary concern. Again, uh, R.C. Sproul was helpful. Again, he said, ceremony must always give way to the well-being of a person in need. Ceremony must always give way for the well-being of a person. So here's here's the point. At, in both circumstances, what Jesus is making clear is that at its core, the Sabbath is a day to love God and to love our neighbor. So think about this. This is how Jesus sums up the law, isn't it? Love God, love your neighbor. And what I, what I really think the principle that he's saying here related to Sabbath is that those two things will never be in conflict <laughs> That if you are loving God, it will not lead to you neglecting to love your neighbor. And if you're loving your neighbor, it will not cause you to not love and honor God. The Pharisees, in seeking to keep the Sabbath, they said, we're going to honor God, we're going to love God by keeping the Sabbath the way that we do. And in so doing, they neglected to love their neighbor. And so in not loving their neighbor, they weren't Loving God. So these things, they're not, they're never in, in conflict. We don't have to worry that I'm going to love God, but harm my neighbor. If that happens, then we're not loving God. Does that, does that make sense? I, I think that that's, that's the core of what he's, he's getting at. That, that they've taken the, the, the Sabbath and said, this is a day for withholding food from hungry people. This is a day for withholding healing from people that are in need. That's not at all what God intended that day to be for. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 1, the stinging rebuke that God gives to the, to the people of Israel. He says to them these words. The prophecy begins, I'll start reading in, in verse 10. He says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. But he's talking to Israel. He calls them Sodom. 
Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. He says, you keep coming to me with all these sacrifices, with all these festivals, with all these Sabbaths and these feasts. And I don't want to hear them. Because there's blood all over your hands. Because you are not caring for those that are in need. You are not doing good. So you're doing you're doing what I've called you to do. All those things are things that, that God had laid down. Keeping of the festivals, keeping of the Sabbaths, but honoring Him, bringing sacrifices. And He says, I don't care about any of that stuff if you're not loving your neighbor, if you're not loving those that are amongst you. Because this this service for God will never cause us to neglect loving our neighbor. I think that's a great principle for us to think on. I think it's a hard one to apply at times. But we need to define loving our neighbor by what Scripture says loving our neighbor is. Because there may be times where we say, well, if I, if I truly love God, then I will not be loving my neighbor. We need to say, well, what does love look like in, in, in God's kingdom? What's that going to look like? And if we are truly loving people, then we will be, these things will not be in conflict. That, I encourage you to think on that. If, if that's something that you say, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, then, then challenge me. But let's process that. So Jesus makes it clear that the Sabbath is a day to love God and to love others. And he also makes this bold claim in verse 5, which is the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I think that's the other main thing that we're getting here. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He tells this story about David. That's a difficult story, to be totally honest. The, the Pharisees say, why are you doing what is not lawful, doing the Sabbath? And Jesus answers them with a question. <laughs> he says, have you not read? Haven't you guys been reading your Bible? Do you remember this story about David when Saul was pursuing him? And he was running away from Saul because Saul was looking to kill him. And he came to the temple to seek refuge. And he and his men were hungry. And so he asks the priest if there's any food. And the priest says, all we've got. It's the bread of the presence, the bread that's only lawful for the priest to eat. And they sort of think about it and pray, and David and his men eat the bread that was only intended for the priest. Very interesting. And then right on the heels of that story, what does Jesus say? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I think that part of that is David's men were hungry. My disciples are hungry. The Sabbath is not meant to be a day where we withhold food from hungry people. That's not what it was intended for. But I think there's some other parallels here. and Help me think through this. I'm still processing. But you have Jesus and his followers, and you've got David and his followers. 
And David comes into this circumstance, and as the rightful king of Israel, he determines what is best. What needs to happen is my men need to eat. This is all that there is to eat, and God would have us to eat this bread. And Jesus comes, as he calls himself the Son of Man. This messianic thing this from, from Daniel, that, that, this title, that he is the Son of Man that has, that has come. He is the Messiah. And he's also the rightful heir of David's throne. So he is even higher than David. And he says, this is what needs to be done. Not only that, but he says, this is my Sabbath. It's the Lord's Sabbath. And I am the Lord. I was there for the first Sabbath. I invented Sabbath. <laughs> I do what I want to on Sabbath because I created it. And I tell you what is lawful and what is unlawful. The Pharisees were coming to Jesus and saying, this is what's lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, but I invented Sabbath. I created Sabbath. I tell you what's lawful to do on Sabbath. And my disciples aren't doing anything wrong. And I'm allowed to heal on Sabbath because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And I imagine him saying this, you know, as he's talking, he says, maybe this is not what he did, but he says, tells this story. And then he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And then he throws some grain in his mouth and walks off. <laughs> because he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You guys are distorting this whole thing, and I determine what is supposed to happen. And, and I think this starts to introduce another theme in Luke. We've seen the main theme so far is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world, but also he is Lord. He is Lord. He is in control. He he rules over all things, and he says, "This is my Sabbath, and I will, and I have come to bring the fulfillment of the law. I have come. Um, you've heard it said this, but let me tell you what the law really means." And he comes and he says, "This is what the Sabbath was intended for, and this is what you all have turned it into. Now let me tell you what it really means, what the real purpose is, and I can do it." because of who I am. He lifts himself up. So what this is in so many ways is an exaltation of Jesus, showing that he is Messiah, that he is God himself. To proclaim that he is Lord of the Sabbath is to say that he is God and he has the right to say what we should do and not do on Sabbath. So a few questions just to kind of close us and bring these thoughts together, hopefully. Uh, the first one that struck me is, do I see the value of Sabbath? You see the value of a Sabbath rest? Maybe not laying it down in these terms where you have to do it on the seventh day. It's always got to be Sunday. But the, the value of resting, the value of, of, of remembering, the value of rejoicing, that's what God intends Sabbath to be. Is there a Sabbath principle in our lives? Uh, another one that I thought of, am I adding oppressive rules to God's command? Am I, am I adding laws that, that kill joy in myself or kill joy in others? Am I adding things on top of God's law? Another would be, am I withholding good from people and seeing it as honoring God? <laughs> the disciples, the, the, the Pharisees thought they were honoring God by withholding good from people. Is there, am I doing that in some way? Am I withholding blessing and, and good from people and thinking that it's, that it's worship to God? Because my worship to God and my love of my neighbor, they will never be in conflict. And then I think as we think about Sabbath is, have we found our full rest in Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath? We come to him and he says he is Lord, he is Savior. He has come to bring the fulfillment of what Sabbath is. And the ultimate way that we rest is we rest 
in Christ. We rest in what he has done, that he never broke the law, that he never broke the Sabbath. And he makes that very clear here, that he fulfilled the law and then he died because of all the laws that we have broken and he gives us new life. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as the Lord of the Sabbath, he says, love me and love others. And those things will never come into conflict.